Um, we're glad to be here and um, starting, finishing, kind of, well, continuing mm -hmm. um, this Navigating Life in Babylon series. And ours, our message today is titled, Building a Foundation for a Household of Faith. And um, I'm going to hand it off to Pastor Joe. All right. <laughs> Fantastic. Yes, we are um, excited and grateful to be with you. And when it comes to Navigating Life in Babylon, um, we are going to be talking about the family unit. And um, it's my favorite topic. Aren't you grateful that we're here to talk about family? I think that um, when you think of family, for me, growing up as a kid, um, I think of all my dreams. My, what I thought more than anything is always about having a family. And uh, my greatest aspect was someday that I would be a dad. I mean, it consumed my thoughts, and it's something that I always dreamed about. And when I got to the place where I was venturing off, and I went to, I'm a, by the way, congratulations to all our graduates, right? Um, graduation season is here. You know, I, I uh, go back to my days of at Cal State University Fullerton. Any Titans in the house? All right, go Titans. That's right. Several Titans. And, uh, but I remember when I was graduating, um, you think that as I was going into my career, what consumed my mind more than anything was being a good dad. You know, and then when I went into the ministry, um, but much of my reading was all about how can I be a good parent? Because more than anything, if I was going to succeed at anything, I wanted to succeed at and family. Now, how many people would agree with me? I think all of us. Yeah, when it comes to that, I, of all the success, of, of all the money in the world, nothing is more important than family. And I'm blessed. I'm, my greatest treasure is right here next to me, right? And that's my beautiful wife, Carolyn. And I have three amazing children, a couple of dogs and things like that. But, um, but they, they truly, truly, truly are um, a blessing to me. Um, but in Ephesians, it says this. I want to I share with you in Ephesians 5.25. It's not an, you've heard this many times. It says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. Later on in that chapter, you'll find where the Apostle Paul is then admonishing that not only, not only husbands love your wives, but also it says to nurture, to care for them. And that Greek word nurture and care for is ektrafo. Say ektrafo. I might have told you to spell it, say it wrong, but it's the Greek word. It's the Greek word for nurture, and it's the Greek word for care. And the only other place we see that in the scripture, when he says, I want you to care, to love, now, I think it's obvious God wants us to love our wives. But the only place you see that word used is when the Bible talks about taking care of your family. When it comes to nurturing and providing both physically, spiritually, for their spiritual growth, but also, you know, putting a roof over their head, putting food on the table. I mean, that's, that's the only time the Bible uses that. But what he's saying, what is the bigger message? He says, listen, the, the idea of family there's a bigger message. There's a more greater purpose for marriage because it's an example. It's an example the way you love your wife, the way you love your family. This is an example to the world because what I'm talking about is not just the family unit. I'm talking about God's family, God's family. You see, the idea of family, he says, listen, I want you to love your family because this is how Christ loves the church. I know we have a lot of people here who are talking about family. You feel like, maybe it doesn't apply to you. Maybe you don't have a family. You have aspirations of a family. Or there's a lot of brokenness. You don't see, how can this series, Navigating Life in Babylon, apply to you? But listen, this is how God wants to reveal us to the world. 
He wants to show us his family. And the Bible says we're all called the family of what? God. So turn to your neighbor and say, good morning, family, right? And that's something that Pastor Rick says every single morning, right? We're all brothers and sisters. In fact, the Bible says we're all part of a body. None of us is more important than the other. We're all members of one another. In fact, even when Jesus instructs his disciples to pray, he says, listen, this is how you are supposed to pray. And he says this, to say, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is where? In heaven. Notice he didn't say, my Father. Jesus didn't say, and he is like, no, he didn't say, he says, I want you to pray my Father. I want you to pray our Father. You know, when I first came to the Lord, and it was all about, you need to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. You know, it's all about our relationship with God. And that is true. But yet the Bible speaks to us being a family. He says it's our Father. We're all in this together. We're all intertwined. You know, this is how God wants to grow us, to mature us. You know, the Bible talks about the fruits of the Spirit, right? I mean, that's how you know you have the fruits of the Spirit is being a part of a family. You know, do I have love? Do I have patience? Do I have kindness? You know, you get, you get connected to a church here. You know, this is how we learn from each other. It's how well we're doing is being a part of a family. It's how we grow. You, the, all, the opposite could be true. You might think that you have the fruits of the Spirit, you know. I, you might think that you're patient. <laughs> you might think that you're kind. You, know, you might think that you're long-suffering and you have a lot of patience until you go home and you talk to your kids, you know, and you realize, boy, I mean, I wasn't as patient as I thought, you know. <laughs> But God uses the family unit to grow us, to mature us. And that's why we are here today, because God has designed family to be a blessing. Unfortunately, the church many times is not that. God wants, we're supposed to be a living family, a growing family, a living organism. But many times, especially in Western culture, the church becomes like an institution. It becomes like an organization, you know, you kind of sit here, and we get to be entertained, but not today. We're bringing everybody on stage, right? Because it is true, we are to be, a, we're supposed to be the representation of God to the world. Living, loving. Um, Dick Mills, who's been with us, and um, he's gone to be with the Lord. He's, a, he's spoken to us and to our church many times. He says this. He says, God blesses or afflicts you with the people you need. Isn't that true? Right? And that's what the church is. Notice what it says in Psalm 68. Psalm 68, verses 5 and 6. If you have your Bibles or your app or, you know, go ahead and t- turn there. This is the illustration of God the Father, our church family. He says, he's a father of the fatherless, a defender of widows, is God in his holy habitation. God sits the solitary, that's individuals, in what? In families. He brings out those who are bound into what? Say with me, church. But the rebellious dwell in a dry land. See, God says it's his design that you placed you in a family. So listen, God designed you. He placed you here. We're in this together. We had the slogan all summer. We are better together that we're a part of a family no matter where you're at in life. Whether you're a parent, you're single, you're in the nursery, you're a part of the family unit, right? But what I love is the next verse. Where he says that in verse 6, he says he brings those who are bound into prosperity. You know, so many have already said how we're living in Babylon. 
navigating life in Babylon. And Babylon symbolizes everything evil in our world. The scripture many times it refers to Babylon. It's everything that is broken. It's everything that is tearing down. But notice God's will for you navigating life in Babylon. God's will for you is this, is that he wants to take those who are maybe broken, those who are bound, those who are being oppressed, and those who are being bruised, those who are walking in sorrow, and he says, I'm going to take those who are bound, and I'm going to bring them into what? Prosperity. And that's what we want to leave you with this morning. That's our overarching goal. It doesn't matter what state your family is in. Our church is going to be that living testimony. We're to bring hope to the world. You can be a single parent, divorced, single, or going through all kinds of difficulties. But the truth is this. It is God's will that you prosper. And we are here to encourage you, and Carolyn wants to encourage you, that God is faithful to all generations. He is. He is so faithful. I love what Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9 says. It says, listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength. And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I am giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you are at home and when you are on the road, when you are going to bed and when you are getting up. Tie them to your hands and wear them on your forehead as reminders. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And Pastor Scott and Cindy last week talked about this a little bit. But what I want you to notice is that Moses is talking to all of Israel. He doesn't just turn to the side and say, hey, parents, you over here, come, let's have a little meeting. Let me tell you how to raise your kids, okay? He's talking to all of Israel that we are to work together. It's a great burden to raise children, right? It is a lot. But parents, I want you to be reassured today that God is on our side and that he's given us the church to be our family and to help us along that road. It's good news for us, right? It's good news for us. Um, God has given us his strength and his wisdom, and he's commissioned a community of faith to come alongside of you. And a lot of you have that community here. Um, You know, the saying goes that it takes a tribe to raise a family, right? Well, you guys are our tribe. And we, you're our tribal people. (laughs) You guys are our people. You're, You're our village. And um, we can't do it alone. None of us can. Last we need service, each other. Last service, you call us the village people. Yeah, last service. Yeah, you guys are the village people. If, don't take offense. Don't take offense. It's, a, it's in a positive way. Um, but as parents, we need the church, and we need people to speak into our children's lives. We need older people who've gone before us and raised children. We need younger people who don't have children yet but maybe have more time and energy than, than we do. We need each other, and there's so much work to be done. In our community, we need foster families, and we need CASA, CASA advocates and teachers and coaches and mentors. Um, we need VBS leaders. There's my plug for VBS right there. We need J-12 mentors. You guys, we can't sit on the sidelines. We are the church, and we have to be in those places of battle for our kids and for our families. You know, last week, um, Joe and I got an email Um, from Orangewood, which is a home um, in Orange County. And they said, they were reaching out to the church. They said, we have 90 kids that need homes, 90, right here in our own community that need a place to go. They need mentors. You know why they reached out to the church? Because they know that the church, when the church is motivated and the church is mobilized, they're powerful. And they're powerful to make change. 
Let us be the people that say not on our watch. Not on our watch. We're not going to let these kids grow up without parents. We're not going to let these kids grow up without God in their lives. We're not going to be the generation that lets um, our, our children grow up not knowing who God is. Not on our watch. And um, the purpose of our series is not, like I said and Joe said earlier, it's not just for our parents. It's for all of us, young and old. It's to help us as a church to reach out to those around us and be aware of what's going on in their lives and to be a support. So no matter what stage of life you're in, it's never too late. It's never too late to, to make a change in the life of a child or in the life of your adult children. Um, we, all can, we can all take that place and, and do what God's called us to do. And so this morning, we're bringing up a few parents in different stages of life. And so we're asking Pastor Dave and Joy to come up and Pastor Paul and Teresa. And they're going to join us on the stage for a conversation. You guys, can you guys welcome them? Going to get them situated here. You guys have your mics. Everyone's going to take turns, so just be thinking about um, what you want to say when you come up. Just kidding, I'm not going to go there. No, we prompted their questions, actually. We're not putting <laughs> them on the spot, actually. So we did cheat a little bit. <laughs> All right. So let's start with. Uh, Let's see who has a mic first. Okay. This was a lot of fun first service, so I think it'll be fun again. You guys will like it. So our first question to our panel is, what did your parents do to help you be thriving servants for God in the real world? And have you done the, th the same thing, or have you done things differently? So um, Pastor Dave and Joy, can you guys lead us off? Well, Deuteronomy, those verses that Caroline read that's actually how my family was. I have a big family. My parents were servants in church. They took us with them everywhere. They were the kinds of parents who we had God conversations going on all week long in the car, at home, at dinner, um, before bed, in the morning. Um, they were just those kinds of parents. And so they just took us along. They served in church, and we did too. And, and with my kids, I, we, I did. I did a lot the same thing. Um, my, uh, I have to tell the truth now because my oldest son is sitting here. It's his birthday today. <laughs> Happy birthday, Zach. Um, <laughs> and now we're telling stories about yeah. you. <laughs> um, but I did. I just kind of took them along, and, and I was a little more instructional than my parents were. Um, that's kind of how generationally things grow. So I was a little more instructional than they were, um, but I did the same thing, brought them along. So I'm a first-generation Christian. I wasn't really raised in the church. My parents would drop me off at Sunday school. That was about it. But we did have an aunt that, that prayed for us. And so my brother and I became, we were saved and became Christians later on. And when it was my turn to be a parent, I was very intentional about it. I brought my son into the church when he was nine days old. I don't remember in the first 10 years that he ever missed a Sunday. But uh, we tried to be very deliberate about raising him according to Christian principles. And... All of you out there who have raised kids, you know that you, you try to do the best that you can. You follow godly principles, and, and you pray. And at the end of the day, there's still this gap. And the gap is filled by the Holy Spirit because you can't do mm -hmm. God's work. You, you can only do what you can do. 
Kristen Paul. Um, my parents were just really clear from the get-go that church was a priority for us, and I'm thankful for that, especially when I hit the teenage years. Um, it, you know, it was just something that I knew was non-negotiable, and because they showed the importance of that, it really changed the course of my life, and I'm thankful for that. Um, and they also gave me a lot of opportunities to model service, service to my church, service to the community. Um, one just quick little story. I remember um, one of the older ladies in our church, um, her husband was going to pass away shortly, and she needed to get her house on the market. And I just remember my parents, we woke up one Saturday morning early, and we spent the whole day, you know, washing windows and just getting our house ready for her. And I remember that was just something that stood out in my mind. I left that day just feeling really like, you know, I made a difference in somebody's life today, and I'm thankful that they gave me those opportunities. Yeah, I mean, mine's, mine's similar. Uh, my, um, my parents were first-generation immigrants here, so my dad came over from Lebanon, my mom from Egypt, and when they first got to the States, and, and they met in New Jersey. Well, I was born in Jersey. Don't hold it against me. Um, and... And we moved here, and my parents got saved, and they, they had a church that they were part of. It was an Arabic church, and Arabic was the language they spoke primarily. And my brother and I were born here. We were raised, you know, in America. And I remember that my parents made the biggest sacrifice. They, they, they saw the importance of getting me and my brother to a church that we would connect in, and they made the biggest sacrifice. They, they brought us, of all places, here to the Cornerstone, and they, they stopped going where they were going, right? Even though they, they probably would have loved to stay there. And they came here. And I've been, I've been at this church since I've been about five. I know many of you know, know that testimony. And the sacrifice my parents showed is, is, is huge, that, that they would do that for me and my brother and that we could get grounded somewhere that we'd be connected. So I think, I think the sacrifice, and, and we try to do the same with our kids, like my wife said. It's like get, get the kids to church. You know, there's very few kids. Maybe some of you have them. If you do, good for you. But very few kids I know wake up and just read their Bible and pray for hours every morning. and spend, Right? It, <laughs> And, and that, that's a process we work through with them. But you know what we absolutely can make them do is come to church. And so we make that, like, like everyone said, a non-negotiable. We come to church, and I believe there's a season where kids get grounded in church, and that forms a foundation where, where they can grow in God. So, and I, I'll do this. I have to say this again. I, I applaud Pastor Joe and Carolyn. I know many of you do, too, that, that the kids program, like once we get the kids here, it's a place they want to come. Right, and that's really important, and I think a lot of credit to you guys. God's anointed your ministry, and yeah, you guys have blessed all of our families. So, thank you. That's why we brought our, our Cornerstone Kids team up here this, this morning, to make sure that we got that plug. We told them ahead of time, please say that. <laughs> yeah. No, but I, I, I'm, I'm resonating with everything that they're sharing when it comes to my upbringing. You know, I was, I was raised in, in the church, and one thing that stuck with me out of all the lessons was my mom. My mom was pretty much, for many of those years, was a single mom, you know, working like two or three jobs just to make ends meet. And we had lots of challenges, and many of you may know my story, you know, a lot of brokenness. And, but yet in all of that, boy, my mom made it a point to make sure that, when, that you know, we, we were blessed. And she would always contend for the faithfulness of God, that no matter how ugly life seemed to be, Boy, my mom was that, always that example of believing for God's promises for her kids. You know, my favorite example was when I, I've, I was kind of a Forrest Gump. You know, I had like club feet when I was born. And so they put those bars in my feet, right? And the doctors would say, well, your, your son's not going to be very athletic. He's not going to be able to run. 
And my mom would not agree with the doctor at all. She says, well, I'll find you another doctor. And, 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 but, but she trusted God for her miracle. You know, but that's kind of her nature. That, out of all of the lessons, stuck with me. You know, just her faith and her trusting in God for the impossible. And many of you know, um, I was raised here. <laughs> you saw my childhood, so you kind of know um, my life. My parents were the same at home as they are here. Um, and, you know, much like Paul and Teresa and, and Dave and Joy, um, our parents, my parents, you know, pleaded on our behalf um, for the Lord to just make us walk in his ways. Um, they set us before him and directed us and guided us. And um, I feel like my life is a blessed life because of them, because they went before us and, and they paved the way. Um, as an adult, I'm living proof of that blessing and that, that hard work that they did for us. Um, all right, next question. And this one is just to the Sayoons. Um, if you could go back to before having children and give yourself some advice, what would you say? <laughs> yeah, how honest are we being this way? <laughs> very honest, very honest. Um, yeah, I mean, there's, come on, you guys know as parents, there's some days where you just think, what, what did we do, right? <laughs> Like, um, no, I, I think so, you know, Psalms 127 says this, says children are a blessing or a heritage from the Lord. They're a reward. That's what it says. And, you know, I believe that I knew the word of God growing up. And I think the one thing I would have told myself or that I would have hoped to know was just how much hard work it was going to be to claim that reward, to get that blessing, right? Because like a lot of blessings, it's there for us, but it requires something from us, doesn't it? Like, I, th I think about the children of Israel and the land, God's land that he gave them. It was their heritage, and they still had to go get it. And I think that what I would have liked to tell myself is you, not a day can go by that you can be a passive dad. You have to go and get and take the possession, the heritage, and you have to do your part in that blessing to make your kids what God has intended them to be. And that, I mean, that's the advice I'd give myself, you know, be, be intentional with the heritage from God. Yeah, I agree. I think I would tell myself to get ready for the most humbling experience of your life. <laughs> um, and to just breathe, to just know that whatever um, struggles, because they are going to have struggles, right? Everybody has a struggle, and God's big enough, and he's powerful enough to reveal himself through all of that. And um, just to breathe and to know that the Lord loves my kids way more than I do. And just to trust him. He's good. If it's good, it's from God, you know, and he's good. Joe? Yeah, I think for me it would be, it's not be so about the moment, be consumed with what the future will hold. You know, so often we're about the, the now and we sacrifice the now. Like they say, like, you know, you don't want to be your, your, your son or daughter's best friend. I was talking to one of our first impressions team and he was talking about how, you know, sometimes it's about, it's later in life. His children are grown and now they have children and the things they didn't like with their mom and dad kind of stood for promises at the time. They now are saying, Dad, thank you for instilling that within me. Even though at the time I wasn't, you know, I, I wasn't in agreement. And there's times that, you know, it, it may appear as if, boy, this, boy, I'm losing my son or daughter. But when you're standing by God's word, no, you're, not, you're saving them. You're standing with them. And so I would say don't be so consumed with the moment. But, boy, looking forward to those future testimonies. You know, I had those testimonies of my bus kids. You know, you probably know that, that famous story of the kid that, that, that bit me on the bus, right? Because, you know, he wasn't happy with Pastor Joe. You know, and now years later, he's saying, boy, I love this place. You know, how can I, can I come back? You know, so the same kid that bites me and then he wants to come and give me a hug, I'm lost. 
you know, but don't live for the moment, but be consumed with what God is doing in the future. And for me, it's, it's more sentimental. Um, as a mom, I, I think for me, it would just be to um, take things slow and just realize how fast life goes. Um, we have a 16, almost 16-year-old. 16 we have a 13-year-old and an almost 11-year-old. And for me, I just feel like it just flew by. And I, sometimes I wish I would have just stayed in the moment a little bit more and just been more present um, during their younger years when they were growing up. Um, but, yeah, it just it goes so fast. So um, this question is for Dave and Joy. <laughs> As a blended family, what is some advice you can give to parents that may be in the same situation? Don't do it. <laughs> run, just run as fast as you can the other direction. All by itself, parenting is the hardest thing that you'll ever do and the most important. But when you come to a blended family scenario, it's much more complicated. Uh, we went through that. We had some successes, but you have to recognize that the, the natural parent has, has more leverage, has more input, more influence on the child. So the other parent has to be very careful to honor and respect that. And uh, <clears throat> I think one thing we would do differently probably is to sit down and map out a parenting plan up front, like who's gonna take the lead on what and who's gonna be more in the background. We both can support our kids, but it's, it's very challenging and, you, and we made a lot of mistakes. And uh, so yeah, it's another, another avenue where you just have to trust God and do your best. Yeah. I remember when Dave and I got married, I wanted to be like five years away from that as fast as I could get because you come from such brokenness, you want to be a family again. And it, you can't hurry that process. It takes time. You've got to have enough traditions built in and you've got to have enough family events and you've got to have enough history together before you start feeling like a family. So if I would say anything to blended families, if you're in the beginning stages, there is hope. You will feel like a family. It's just going to take time that the original family doesn't need to take because they're the, the intactness of that family. But it, there is, it takes time, and, and you can't hurry it. It's like, all, like, like a, a hundred threads of things you pull together to try and make that family happen. But you, ha you have to be intentional about doing it. Mm. Amen. So good. I love that intentionality you know, that we have to have in all of these situations. There really is a focus on just being intentional on what we do and what we say and how we act. Um, okay, next question to the Sayuns. Share the best parenting advice you ever received, and then I want you to share the worst piece of advice you've ever received. <laughs> oh, Be honest. Okay. Um, I would say the best parenting advice I ever got was just from a really amazing, godly woman. Um, and she said, it's not the perfect parents that make the good ones. It's the just enough parents. And I didn't quite understand that at first. But the more that we got into it, she says, you know, you can't strive for perfection. It's not doesn't exist. I mean, you can strive for it, but you'll never hit it. But the just enough parents, the ones that give what they have, coupled with God's anointing and a lot of prayer and just his grace, those are the, those are the parents that, that you see powerful things happen to. And so I, I strive to be a just enough parent with a whole lot of grace and a whole lot of God, <laughs> you know, just anointing and just a whole lot of Holy Spirit direction. Um, worst advice would probably be not to push Jesus on my kids, you know, to kind of let them make their own 
you know, choices and assumptions. And, you know, there's going to be plenty of time for my kids to, to choose Jesus, you know, as an adult. And, but I have to stand before God someday, and I have to give account for how I stewarded this precious gift that he gave me two gifts that he gave me, and I want to be able to stand before him and say, I gave it 110%, and I obeyed you all the way, Lord, and, you know, I, I taught my kids a love for Jesus, and it's not cramming Jesus down their throat. It's just modeling what it's like to have a relationship with the Lord, and, you know, once you know Jesus, you can't help but fall in love with him, so that's, that was probably some of my advice. Yeah, I I agree. Like starting with the worst advice, I agree with with what you said, and I think it's um, it's a pervasive idea in the culture right now. And it's this idea that the kids will just figure it out for themselves. Like let the kids just kind of you know figure it out and decide what they want to be and where they want to go. I mean that that's kind of garbage, you know. Excuse me, but when when a tree is young and planted, we tie sticks to it, right? So it grows straight. Kids are the same. So yeah, there's there's a freedom that kids want to have in self discovery, sure, but. If, if we're not setting the rails and the guidelines and the sticks, the tree's going to topple over, right? And our kids, when they're small, listen, they're not, they're not smart enough to figure it out on their own, right? We're, we're there to help them and to guide them. And so, so I'm not a fan of that advice. I think the best advice um, that I got actually came from, from the scripture when I was reading one morning. And, and, you know, we've had seasons that are harder and easier, as all of us have with our kids. But um, I remember I read Ephesians 6, 4, and, and this scripture just knocked me upside the head. And it said, you know, fathers, don't provoke your children to anger, but uh, train them and admonish them in the way of the Lord. And, and this thing, this light bulb kind of went on in my head. The Holy Spirit spoke to me. And what I realized was, and I came, listen, I had an old school dad. It was like, look, you do what I say, and if you don't, you know what's going to happen, right? Um, <laughs> a lot of us grew up that way. And, and, and certainly there's a place for that kind of discipline. But what I found myself doing was... I, my discipline was coming from a place of pride, not a place of love, right? It's my house. You better do it. Zero love in any of that interaction. It was just my way because I say so. And, and the Lord spoke to me in that scripture and, and said, don't provoke your kids to anger. Even in discipline, you can show them the love of Christ, right? That's what he told me. And that was a real turning point for me, probably one of the biggest eye-openers I ever, I ever had, so. Pastor Joe? I started chuckling when he said to get that stick with the kid, you know, when he's bending <laughs> sideways because that's kind of my advice, you know, especially when your kids appear to be going sideways, you know, and you want to plant that stick and help them. But sometimes you got to wait till the storm, you know, kind of blows over. You know, there's a time, the Bible says, you know, to discipline, to correct, to rebuke. But the big advice I got is that it's not just okay to believe, but also have the understanding of the conviction. You know, a lot of times you want to kind of get in there and we're angry, we're in the moment, and that's when we want to lay down the law. I was teasing Carolyn because when you're in that rage, you're saying, okay, you know what, you can't watch TV for the next year or so, you know, and so, <laughs> but that's where you're in that, you know, you can you take everything out, you know, and that's not okay, you know, but you want them to understand, not just to believe, but have the conviction to understand why you're putting the stick with them. And so I've learned, especially my son playing baseball, you know, he's never out and he, ne he never strikes out and the umpire's always wrong. You know, and it takes him a wh while to kind of understand and say, okay, now I know what is true. But sometimes that kind of hurts us. I think of a story with my Johanna, you know, when it comes to Halloween time, right? Because we, we celebrate Harvest Festival. And we want to do whatever things are pure, whatever things are noble, we meditate on these things. So we don't really get really big on, you know, all the ghosts and the goblins when it comes to Halloween time. And so she has that conviction. You know, we want to be an example. We want to be a light. 
So in her conviction, she went to the neighbor's house that had the full-on, like, horror, you know, haunted house, you know, the ghost and everything. And she's out there. I don't know how old she was she. Yeah, she's like six or seven. Six or seven years old. And she's saying, you guys need to take these decorations down. You guys need to go to church. You know, this is not. And so she had her conviction, and she was, she was being a light in a dark place, you know. But the key, though, is that, and I'm blessed for my kids, sometimes I watch sports and they're saying, Dad, turn that off, turn that off, you know, not the sports, but they get on to regulate those commercials, you know, but they have that and the music they're listening to. So it's not just to have belief, but my heart concern is to have that conviction to do what is true. And for me, I would say the worst advice that someone gave me or people give you as parents is to trust your gut, you know. Because our gut, my gut, would tell me to, like, wrap my kids in a little bubble and keep them inside all day because I'm a worrywart, you know? Like, don't go anywhere. You're going to get hurt, you know? But, but our, we need to not trust our gut but trust the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is the one that guides and directs us as parents and knows the best way to raise our kids and knows the, the best way to teach our children what to do and how to protect them and how to discern what is right um, for them and for their lives. Um, so that was... Kind of the best and the worst tied up in one. All right. So um, next question is is back to the students here. Is what parenting issues have driven you to the Bible for God's advice? All of them. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, I Good. think I think one thing that's been really helpful for me um, is. Uh, gosh, I really can't pick one specific issue, but I know um, having a promise that applies to my child has been crucial for me. Having a promise that I can go back to when it looks like they're not going the way that I want them to go or they should be going and say, no, but God said this. And just being able to apply that promise um, whenever I'm starting to feel weary or I'm getting tired. And, um, and also I think discipline is, there's you know that verse that says, um, train up a child in the way he should go. And when he's old, he won't depart from it. Sometimes we get tired of waiting and we don't see the immediate fruit. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, once that seed is planted, we want to see the immediate fruit. And I think um, for me, that's just been a crucial verse that I will see the fruit because God's faithful. So that's probably it. That's good. And I think, too, we, we gauge what our kids are going through, right? Because kids go through di- all different kinds of seasons and emotions and, and things, you know. And, and some, you know, like there's seasons where I'll, I'll pick up that, hey, it seems like my kids are really struggling with, you know, fear right now, or fear is just becoming, you know, fear is pretty pervasive, I think, in our, our culture. I mean, I'm an adult, and there's so much to be afraid of sometimes, isn't there? And so we pick up on these things, I think, that our kids are sensing as we pray for them. And then we go to the Bible, because the Bible has encouragement for just about everything, right? And so in Joshua 1.9, you know, for a season over my son Joshua, I just, hey, Joshua 1.9, God says, do not be afraid or dismayed, because the Lord is with you wherever you go, right? And, and something to hold to Right, so if I or my son or my wife or my daughter, we have those, that fear creeping in or those deceptions, right? There's, a, there's an abiding word of God that Isaiah says doesn't return void, right? And it says in Hebrews is alive and it, it's working inside us. And so I think it's important, like Carolyn said, to get, have the Holy Spirit guide you in, you know, you're not just going to throw a Bible on your kid's lap and go read it. You could, but I think what's really effective is, hey, I read the scripture today. Look what it says and really connect with your kid on, on what they're going through, you know? Hmm. I think it's also true when um, I feel like I have failed, you know, when I feel like, and that's when I, when I have regret, or I responded in a way that I shouldn't have responded, 
And then I go to the, to, the, to the word, and God reminds me that he's my Abba Father, Daddy. And then he offers me forgiveness, right? And then I got to come to a place of saying, okay, God, and then the Holy Spirit will minister to me. And so then I think that's when I really kind of go deeper, because that's the best thing we can give our kids, I think, is us living out our own faith. You know, going to my kids and saying, hey, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? Will you forgive Dad? And trying to model that and knowing that, boy, I am not perfect. I don't have it all together. And so that's to me, is uh, a big deal, is when you kind of have a chance to find refuge in God's word. And our final question is to Dave and Joy. How did parenting change when your kids became adults? I always say, give me a room full of two-year-olds every, every day. <laughs> because you, at least you have this illusion and sense of control, right? But you lose that when you're, when you're launching young adults, and I don't think there's anything more fearful than launching young adults into the world that we have. But um, I think what we've learned, because we've got four adults now, all four of our kids, our youngest, our baby is just turned 29. Um, but you become less the CEO of their life and more like an advisory board and giving that advice when they ask. Um, and so you don't insert yourself so much, but I'm telling you, prayer, you pray bigger. You, I mean, it's not that you haven't prayed all along, but you pray bigger when your kids are young adults. <clears throat> prayer, <laughs> yes, I mean, they don't, they don't, they shouldn't, and they don't really want as much information from us as, as they did growing up. So we have to be very strategic and wait for our turn. And when they want advice, they'll generally ask for it, or there'll be some really golden opportunity to say a word in season that just fits the bill. And that's where we have to be uh, sensitive to the Holy Spirit. We have to be really be tuned in to what their lives are about and where they're at and what they need. And we pray that they... Uh, go all the way with the Lord, and we pray for their kids. You know, I had a, I used to do a, a weekly prayer with a friend of mine in Seattle when we lived there, and we, we always wondered how we could tell that our children were getting it. And what we finally decided was, if our children's children were to be found praising the Lord, we knew that our kids had it. Mm. And in this church, I got to see it. Mm. Our Israel was the first one praising and lifting his hands to the Lord, and to see that cycle complete was really rewarding. And can we just encourage you today that if you have children that are prodigals, like, like the song this morning, be encouraged and have hope that God is not done. He's not done. You can hold on to the hope that, you, that we have in Christ, that he's, he's holding on to them. He has not let them go. And hold on to the promise is in his word. Um, that he's going to take care of them. And you just continue to do what you know is right, which is to lead them in the word and to help them to seek the Lord. But know that you can trust that the God who created them is going to take care of them and is going to bring those promises to fruition in their lives. Hold on to hope. We're not perfect. None of us, you know, all of us came from different families. We have, you know, different, you know, people that have not serve the Lord in our lives, but hold on to hope that God will fulfill those promises for them. Amen. Amen. Can we thank our panel for this morning? Wasn't that a great time? And as we close today, I want to I close from 
Nehemiah, from Nehemiah chapter 4. And it's, it really, I believe it's prophetically for us as a church, as a body, as a family unit. If you're not familiar with the story of Nehemiah, God told the prophet that you are to go back to your land and rebuild the city. You're to rebuild the walls. And maybe you feel like that. Maybe you're like Pastor Carolyn mentioned, you know, things in your family maybe are broken or in the midst of brokenness. Or there's some things that need to be restored. And God is calling you. And today, and that's what, God, that's what this is all about. This is all about us raising up. We're navigating life in balance. We're building a foundation. But it's interesting that when they went back to the city that was all in ruin, the first thing they did is they said, first, before you, you know, because the enemy is there, he wants to come, we're going to come and restore worship, right? Because we want to put the Lord first, right? Seek first his kingdom. And the Bible says everything will be what? Added to you. And so as they, in fact, when we have the worship team coming up, the worship team can come on up and, and was, we're, we're going to do that. But notice, as they were restoring worship, they started the actual building of the wall. They started rebuilding the city. Now, the enemy, the king, they didn't think that there's no way God's people can rebuild the wall. I can't believe I said it like the wall. I can't believe I said it like that, but I did. <laughs> because it is true. God's family is under attack right now. There's division. There's an agenda. But God has called us to navigate this life in Babylon that we will rebuild, that we will restore his presence and his authority and take back our land. Now, they didn't believe that these people can do it. So he says, Nehemiah, sure, take your people and go try to rebuild the wall. Well, as the wall started being rebuilt, they got halfway done. And they say, wait a minute, they might just get this thing done. God just might restore them. And so they started taking notice, the enemy, and surrounding them. And the prophet did something. The prophet instructed the people not only to pray, but he assigned each family a section of the wall to build. And as he assigned them a section to build, he said this to them. In verse 14, he says, And I looked and arose and said to the nobles, to the leaders, and to the rest of the people, Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, great and awesome, and fight for your brethren, your sons, your daughters, your wives, your families, and your houses. He says, listen, we're not only going to pray, we're going to do something about it. So as you build your, 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 the wall, your section of the wall, in one hand you have your tool to rebuild the wall. But in the other hand, as it says here in verse um, um, 18, it says that they had their weapon in the other hand. And so as they were building, they were taking ground. Today, in this day, we are taking ground in Jesus' name. We're changing the way we think. Let hope arise within us this morning as a family, church. The enemy is prowling around us. You turn on the news. You see the agenda. You see it in our school districts. We see it in the workplace. But God is calling us to rise from the ashes. He is restoring the family unit. He's restoring your family. It is God's will. He said that you prospered. Do you believe that? So we've come here this morning 
in faith, trusting in the Lord, that whatever has been broken will be restored. So church, we are going to pray, but we're also going to rebuild. And I love what Joyce said. Sometimes it takes time. It takes time. They did it in miraculous ways. And sometimes it is time, and it's hard. But God wants to bring increase to you. Amen? So we're going to worship. Because a lot of us have darkness in the midst of our enemies, and we're going to sing a song, and we're going to stand. Our weapons of warfare, God, are saying, by your grace, we're going we're gonna to declare the praises of God. We're going to sing a little louder, as the song's going to say. We're going to hope a little more. We're not going to walk in defeat. We're going to walk in victory, church. Amen? Amen. So let's pray. Receive. We're going to receive the offering. Father, I thank you, Lord, for the victory that we have. No longer will we cower down, God. We see the enemy, God, but we do see the victory that is in Jesus Christ. Lord, you conquered the grave. You said, greater that is he that is in me than he that is in the world. So I pray for every son or daughter, God. I pray for every family, every neighbor, every community. God, we pray that your kingdom come, your will be done on earth, Lord, as it is in heaven. In your heaven, Lord God, there is victory. In you, there is perfect peace, God. There is victory in Jesus Christ. So we walk in it this morning. Bless as we give, God, in our worship and our tithes and offering. Bless both giver and gift. Thank you, God, for your hope. Thank you for the cross. Amen. 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 I raise a heart.